0: Hey, TSL fam, producer Jeff here, and we are thrilled to release a bonus rebroadcast of our Jodie Foster episode, um, partially in honor of the True Detective Night Country premiere last night on HBO, which was incredible. If you haven't watched it yet, it's outstanding. Um, Jodie talks a bit about her working relationship with writer director isa lopez in this conversation and i have a sneaking suspicion it's gonna be the next big buzzy sunday night hbo show so if you haven't watched it definitely go check it out and um just as importantly we hope you enjoy this amazing conversation with jody have a good one guys
1: hey everyone welcome back to the screenwriting life i'm meg lefove and i'm laurianne mckenna today we are thrilled to be chatting with jody foster Jodi
2: is an award-winning actor and filmmaker who has worked on all sides of our business in front of and behind the camera as a producer, an
1: executive, and director in both features and TV for nearly five decades. Jodi and I worked together for many years when I was an exec at her production company, Egg Pictures. Pretty much everything I know about storytelling, I learned from Jodi. So for me, it's particularly exciting to have her on the show today and for you all to get direct lying to her wisdom. So, Jody, thanks so much for coming on the show today.
3: Wow, my pleasure. Yeah, this is a perfect way to spend a Tuesday. I love it. <laughs>
1: awesome.
2: Uh, yes, welcome. But before we get started, we're going to be diving into our weeks on what
1: we like to call adventures in screenwriting. So, Meg, how was your week? I'm going first this week. Okay, well, my week, and I know that both of you have had this experience I'm at the end of a project and it's that period of, I'm not going to say mourning because it's alive and going like, it's not like it died, but I'm no longer going with it. As writers often are, you, you step off and uh, into production it goes. And, but it is a process. It's still an emotional process of trying to get back to your regular life. And yet, I still have to get a next project and I I have a next project because I need health insurance. Um, and I but I don't I'm tired and I need to process this baby being grown before I start going up the next mountain which just looks really steep. Uh I think because I'm tired. Um and then all that family stuff that during this intense work, you just kind of put over there and all those doctor's appointments and all that stuff that you promised your kids that you're like, yes, as soon as this job's over, we are doing that. Well, here it is. It's all here. And literally, my kid will take no excuse anymore about what I'm doing because that job's over. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, how am I? It's just a process. I'm in the process. Let's not call it morning. What are we going to call it? I know. I don't know what this is. I don't even know what this is. Um. So I don't know. I don't know. It feels like Ch-
2: Sisyphus to me. You're like in the bottom <laughs> of that pit rolling it up. <laughs> Am I going to get to the top? Roll it up a different way.
1: I don't know, Choices Jody. You're right. Jodi, you have, uh, I'm, you know, projects end as everything. As an actress, they're going to go on into edit. As a director, eventually the premiere comes. Uh, yeah.
3: Well, I just, I actually, I'm sort of in the same boat. I just finished a project and I was in Iceland for six months, which was extraordinary. Um, there is this really amazing sweet spot that happens where it's it basically starts at the beginning of the rap party and it goes through the rap party to the point that you're in the car on the way to the plane. You're packing, you're in the on the way to the plane, you get on the plane, you eat the peanuts. It's just this perfect sigh of presence, I think, where you feel like I did something really hard, but it's over and I don't have to do it. And I don't have to worry about anything in the future because I just finished this really hard thing. And then it's just this sweet spot of perfection. And then real life comes and real life is great. You know, you're back to tacos and you're back to picking up the dog poop outside and all the things that you sort of missed while you were gone. But the little anxiety creeps in of like, you know, what am I without my next thing? And uh, I can't believe I didn't attend to that task that I kept thinking I was going to attend to while I was gone. So and then that moment kind of disappears. So I really like to try to stay in that that little piece of perfection from the rap party to getting off the plane at LAX um, and try to remember that feeling of having done something really hard and the grind is over and you don't have to go back to it, but you can still keep all the beauty of all the relationships that you've just come from and all those memories uh, sort of alive for that moment. Yeah,
1: That's really true. It's about, I need to... Also remember the accomplishment, you know that 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 a lot has been accomplished. I have accomplished a lot on this project,
3: and yeah, and it's hard to celebrate until it's over, right? You can't yeah. celebrate until it's over. So even, I mean, I, I I did manage to celebrate a lot when I was younger, when I was in my twenties. I could definitely celebrate before it was over. I mean, <laughs> out at night with people and stuff, but somehow I got this weird vigilance as I got over, where I was like, I can't. I can't let my hair down because I've still got to learn that monologue or I still have, you know, scene 42 to do. And I can't really let it down until I finally crossed off all the boxes on the, on the staples calendar. And, um, and I just wish I could get that feeling to last longer. Cause I know it's all about perspective. I wish I could get that feeling to last longer, but it only lasts from basically at the rap party until I get off. it. Yeah.
1: Yes. And I'm definitely in the hypervigilance. It's almost like the hypervigilance of the project has now just transferred over to, I, I have 700 emails in my inbox and I must have zero. <laughs> I must have zero. Like, that's what I'm doing now. What am I doing? Anyways, sorry. Um. Okay, Jody, how was your week? Well, we've kind of started to talk about it because uh, are you in the sweet spot still?
3: I, well, no. Uh, eh. You know, I was all week because I have been someplace amazing, that's beautiful, and extraordinary, but... You know, there's a, there was a lot of fish and potatoes and beets and you, you long for really dumb things that you're just used to. You long to the things that you're used to that um, six months ago, I'm sure I was bored by, but right now it just, I'm just in that like, oh my God, avocados are amazing. Or uh, <laughs> uh, I'm so glad I get to go to the gym again, or just, you know, things that six months ago were sort of what I was trying to escape from. And now, this circular creative process means I just want to get back to it. So, what a gift! A- I'm, I'm like appreciating everything this week. Like, I had, I had, you know, I had sushi for the first time in a long time. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing! Like, everything, <laughs> basically, everything is amazing. <laughs> You're like Rip Van Winkle, <laughs> like, woken yes. up and come back to your life. Exactly.
1: It's amazing. Laurian, how was your. Uh, Good.
2: I continue in this sort of process of trying to figure out work-life balance and how working from home, being a writer and a mother, and you know, it's real mushy for me. But this weekend, my husband went out of town, so it was just my daughter and me alone. And it was this great opportunity to focus and and be intentional about the time I spent with her. Of course, it was a weekend. I still had a couple of work meetings, pitch stuff. You know, I I had to stop. But it was very much about communicating so clearly to her since my husband isn't here to like hang out with her. So it was like, I have a meeting from 10 to 1130. I'm going to go down to my basement and I will come up. And I, And then I had to stay to that because I didn't have the backup. And it was just this, it just felt so clear to me. And then when I was with her, I was with her. I wasn't thinking about projects or things going on. And I have so rarely felt that. So it felt like very, I felt really revitalized by that. And like, now I'm thinking like, how can I bring that intentionality when my husband is here? Right. And, and that even when I'm in the flow and doing something and she comes down to my office and asks me a question that somehow I can turn off what I'm doing and then engage with her instead of like, ah, get out of here. I'm busy. You know, that, that sort of thing. Cause I feel like I'm doing that with her when I'm working. And then when I'm with her, I do the same thing with work that comes like more emails. So I'm this is a constant struggle for me. I don't know that I'll ever really achieve greatness in this place. But this weekend, I felt really not in control, but like connected to myself in a way that felt really good and satisfying. So I'm trying to figure out how to reclaim that feeling. You know, with my husband, maybe with people I'm interacting with, you know, I'll continue to let everybody know how it goes, which is always a wild ride of Here's how I fucked up this week on what I was intending to do but um and I felt like it was just really it was a gift to spend that time with my daughter because we're always so busy, you know but I tried that nice. this
1: weekend too because my husband's away except I have a teenage boy yeah. <laughs> and I'm an 11 te- year old girl it's a little different yeah when the <laughs> testosterone is on, I'm just like, God, why are you so mean? Like I just asked you what you want for dinner. What? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Oh, it's just uh, boys. Okay. Um, okay, let's get on to the good stuff. Let's start asking Jody some questions and
3: Dylan Well, oh, I like all this though. Creative process is like I think it takes a whole lifetime. I mean, you know, the work-life balance and the creative process. Like, how how do I show up at, whether it's at my desk or on set? And how do I be the most open, creative person I can possibly be? and come up with ideas and, uh, have faith that I'm going to come up with ideas and not be filled with anxiety that I won't. And, you know, how do I do all those things? And I don't think, first of all, I don't think we ever resolved that, but I do think that you kind of need to turn 60 or something. It's some of it is just about being young. I think when you're young, it's really hard to have faith. It's really hard to feel like you're on the right path. It's really hard to balance things and, um, allow your instincts to take over and um, to have a plan and know that the plan is probably a good plan until the next plan that's better comes along. I mean, all those things, you don't, I don't know. You just don't have faith in yourself until you get old enough to not care anymore. And is it, yeah, it's trusting
1: yourself too, right? Like you, what you just said about, you have to trust that when you show up it will come even if you're full of anxiety about, that it won't come. Yeah. And there's a the trust other, of that.
3: There are other art forms, like writing other art forms that are a little less clear, but acting is really clear because a, you're basically using yourself, your face, your body. And they say action. And like, you just, you don't have any time. You just have to, it just has to happen. And if it doesn't happen, it sucks. And if it did happen, it's great and there's nothing you can do about it. So it is um it's the minor bird for a uh, creative process of figuring out whether you're in the right space. And I I I love working with younger people because they bring all that excitement to the table, but I also watch them torture themselves. I just watch them like, you know, hang their head after they've done a scene and feel like, "Oh, it could have been better." Or um all that stuff I think that you do the, just the torture, the tor- how you torture yourself creatively as a young person.
2: I think that's really helpful because it's I did that thing that way. Let's move on to the next thing because bringing the ways that you were maybe not as great as you thought you were, bringing it to the next thing is what hurts the next thing. So you're like this trail of overthinking that's just polluting everything you're doing. But you do have to learn how to like, okay, that happened this way, and and then you move on. I mean that's. That's what you're talking about, right? If I understand you correctly. I'm just trying to like, okay, how can I do more of that? How can I compartmentalize?
3: Yeah. And how do you do it without experience? Like years of experience? I don't know. I'm sure people do. I'm sure there were people who were born, you know, that just go, I'm here and now I'm perfect. I can, I'm just good enough. And I'm just going to show up and see what happens. Like, uh, I don't even know if I want to know those people as young, young (laughs) know-it-alls.
2: We've all met those guys. We've met them. (laughs)
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I was definitely not that way. And on my last show, it was just so much fun watching the young younger people come to the table and feeling like, oh, man, I don't have the energy to work that hard. You guys are really working hard. I don't know if I can, you know, I don't have that energy anymore. I I think I, I think I have faith that I did it before a bunch of times, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to come up with something when I get there. Amazing. Wisdom, I think that's called. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Laziness. So Jody,
1: when I worked with you, you said something that I've carried with me forever in terms of a uh, theme, but you would say what's the big beautiful idea in here mm-hmm. And if I wanted as a producer uh, your exec to bring you a project that was the first thing we had to talk about what is the big beautiful idea in here can you talk a little bit about that do you still use that phrase or think about that um how are you approaching that a as a director uh, and an actor I mean,
3: Yeah. It's, it's basically, you know, how do you find the personal connection between the, what you're, you know, the, the, the piece of art that you're trying to make and you and the lived life. And when you find that you will be moved. And when you are moved, you will make something that has the possibility. I'm not saying it's great, but it has the possibility of greatness because it's true. And, um, you know, as I always say, like I only ask myself one question over and over and over again, whether it's as an actor or as a director. I mean, all I ask is, is it true? You know, is it true that he would wear that blue hat? Like, is it true that he would walk in that door and turn on the light, or would he not turn on the light? You know, all of those questions are really, it's almost like um optician when you go to the op- optical place and they look at your eyes and they just say, you know, is it better or is it worse? Is it better or is it worse? You know, if you just keep asking yourself that question, is it true? Or is it not true then you will find yourself making a personal movie that has a connection to a big idea a bigger a, an idea that in some ways is larger than you because it lives inside you and you don't 100% understand it um i guess that's what i'm always looking for certainly as a director and even as an actor in order to uh work on screenplays and you know come up with ideas for the character is um Trying to make those that personal connection and saying, is there one overarching idea that every time that I think about it, it it stops my breath? And um, what is what is that in this show? Because we are here to serve that. That's what the movie is here to serve. Whether it's the language of props or the language of production design, a language of acting, all of us are here to serve one big beautiful idea, and we bring our various um, languages in order to 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 achieve that. Can
2: you talk a little bit about, I love that idea. Is it true? And so many of us have um, great ideas and we ask ourselves questions like that, but in the execution, if you can't quite get it there, what's your process around that?
3: You know, I guess you try to find something else that's true, right? (laughs) I guess you move on to the next thing. If you're like, wow, this is just, I'm not feeling it. This is not working. You know, that's where the more simple question I can be a very heady person and I'm very intellectual and I'm really good at writing book reports and, you know, uh, all that kind of thing, a very intellectual approach. But at the end of the day um, I have to ask myself that question as a director, as an actor, does it play or does it not play? You know, does it work or does it not work? And it's a really simple question. You know, when you're looking at an image um, and you're a camera operator and you're looking at an image and you're watching the actors, um, that's the question that you ask yourself. You know, does it play? And um, you can sit around and talk about why it doesn't play and try and figure out why it doesn't play. But you're better off saying, OK, well, what does play? And why is it playing? And how can we, you know, how can we move? And there's, cause there's gotta be a reason if it doesn't feel truthful and um, you know, it's not coming across, it's not communicating what you're hoping. You sort of have to open up your eyes a little wider and say, well, you know, what's over there? Maybe that, maybe that'll do it. You know, you start opening up the box of hypotheticals. You know, what if, what if she didn't have a husband? What if she wasn't married? You know, what if she, what if her dad was dead? What if he's, you know, you're, I, I often come into this uh, thing where I'm trying to make a character work and trying to make a character work and there's just something false about it and it's not working. And, uh, and, and strangely, I'm sometimes I get very busy by just killing them off and being like, well, what if, she, what if he didn't exist? What would happen then? Um so you 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 come up with these hypotheticals in order to help hopefully get you to the place where you can suddenly see the truth of the scene or the movie or the play
1: when you're a director taking it on and you're kind of trying to bring that big beautiful idea truth uh, or you know the way you described it, kind of that centering or rudder for every department, every everything um. To articulate it into words, you know, when I was at Pixar or Disney, we would, you know, and you're going through all the development, even if you got a word, we would just stick that word on the wall. Um, Is that something that you can articulate and that's why you take it on as a director? Or do you ever go through the process of trying to find the articulation of something that you feel?
3: Well, yeah, that's our job. We're always articulating. We're always communicating something that's internal, something that's emotional, something that's physical um you know the way a, a composer has to explain why he's choosing the violin why he's choosing the trombone um and i find that process i love that process there's nothing i love more than talking about things that are somewhat unexplainable you know that shouldn't that that can't be really understood by language uh and to try to find parameters sort of language parameters in order to communicate to people and different people, whether they're actors or whether they're uh, technicians, you know, they respond to different things. Um, and I can always get better at that. I'm not as good at that as, as, as I would hope to try to respond to different performers and say, Oh, this person is, you know, needs this type of um, language in order to get to that place or this person, I have to approach them a certain way. It's, you um, that's like a lifelong pursuit of understanding how to speak to people so that they can live up to their best potential. Cause I can't do it for them. I'm here just to inspire them, you know, inspire them and say, uh, you know, I can say the train is leaving the station at eight and I want it to arrive by nine 30, but I can't tell them how to drive there. They have to find that themselves.
1: And when you're building a character, um, I don't know if you remember this, but when we worked together, you said to me once that um, when you built a character, you often started with shame and fear because the character was all the behaviors were trying to protect them from that. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you, okay, you've you gotten this part, you've taken it, now you need to build this character or even when you're a director and you're in development with a writer and you're building characters that way?
3: Right. Yeah. I think that's a really good, I don't want to say it's a starting space, but it's a good, it's a good place to get to at some point, um, to figure out what it is that the character is trying to hide from the other people, what it is that they're ashamed of that they haven't been able to express in their lives for fear of being rejected or for fear of, um, feeling like a failure or, you know, what, and then the, the even larger question that comes out of that is what is it that they're acting on that they don't even understand that they're acting on, you know, what historical parts of their life is um, is is the, what historical wounds are affecting the present moment that they're having in relationship with these other characters or in the choices that they're making. Um, I just saw a great, this great show Beef, I'm sure which you guys have seen and really enjoying, just really enjoying watching that to see characters who are intelligent people, but who are reacting from old historical wounds that they don't understand and they can't control themselves and to watch them do that as a pattern over and over and over again. I mean, I find that really fascinating. So these are all the discussions like that you get into in that room, whether it's that rehearsal room or whether it's your hotel room inside your head, because I don't usually bore other people with this kind of thing of just asking myself that question, you know, what is it that the character is trying desperately to not have other people see and what is it about them that they're ashamed of? That they're trying to actively work against? Um, I think that that can be very revealing. And I try to get very specific about those things because, you know, I don't want to present the audience with a huge soup of ideas that have a thousand ingredients. Um, I want to I want to be specific about how with the breadcrumbs. And I can feel all the hundred ingredients in my own body, but I want to be specific with the audience so that the audience can um can you know in intuit in a way that doesn't feel just too random.
2: How did you, you know, you've talked a lot about experience and your wisdom. When did you come to this conclusion? Like, was it as an actor? Like, when, when did this happen for you? What was that moment of, aha?
3: Well, this is this is not the answer that you want to hear, which is that, look, I didn't choose to be an actor. I was a little kid. I was three years old. And I it was the family business. And I went on auditions because, I don't know, I just kind of fell into it. And um, I liked doing things well. So I liked listening to direction and then when somebody would say, move your foot in that direction and I would do it, they would say that was good and I liked that. So I became an actor through being a good technician and I really thought that's really what making movies was when the, you know, was accommodating a camera and knowing about lenses and, oh, if, you know, I do this um, particular gesture on this line, this will help the director. So I grew up. Really, really being fascinated by the technique of making films, because I loved movies and I loved TV and I loved all that. And otherwise, I didn't ask myself any questions, because honestly, the one direction that I got as a kid was be natural, be yourself. And so I thought, oh, well, I guess that's what acting is. I guess I just have to be myself. So I would be natural and be myself. And then somewhere around 10 or 11, I thought, this is a really dumb job. I sh- Make you know, note to self, don't do this when you grow up because it's not challenging <laughs> enough. Um, at 12, I did Taxi Driver with uh, Robert De Niro, and he kind of took me aside before we started shooting and kept doing these rehearsals with me where we rehearsed the lines over and over again. And I found this process incredibly boring, and I couldn't imagine why we had to keep rehearsing these lines over and over again at different coffee shops. And then he threw some improvisation at me. Once we knew all the dialogue by heart, uh, he threw some improvisation at me and I suddenly understood what it was to build a character. I guess, I guess it had never occurred to me before that I was going to have to do anything more than just be natural. Um, And I was just giddy. I can't remember coming home and going to the Essex house hotel and coming up in the elevator and just You know, seeing my mom and just being completely giddy because I couldn't believe how I had made this discovery that acting was building a character and that I had not been giving enough of myself. And that's why it had been, it had seemed unchallenging to me. And then, in fact, there was everything satisfying about the job. I just hadn't brought enough of myself to the picture. So, I did understand that. I, I understood that as a young person, um, that there was a craft to it. And, um, uh, and I guess that continued for a while. Um, but I still somewhere in the back of my mind thought that it, it would just never was going to be a satisfying enough job. Um, and that eventually I was going to do something else and hopefully something that had to do with films. Um, and it, 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 and I I guess as the years go on, I have moments where I have these eureka moments where I go, oh, wow, this is really, this is, yes, this is who I am and this is what I do. Um, but a lot of the time it is uh, balancing my love of the technical art of filmmaking and an appreciation of instinct. So balancing intention and allowing you know, balancing those two things.
2: Thank you for telling that story. I got chills and I got a little emotional and teary because oh. it's how I felt when I finally was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to devote myself a hundred percent to writing and making that choice every single day is, is a challenge sometimes. And I just, it's a, such a joy to hear you talk about it in that way, because like, yes, it's about discovery and I have to give myself to it over to it but to myself right it's a commitment to feeling good you know and and powerful and interesting and engaged in my own life so thank you for that and after this after we're done I'm gonna go have a good cry <laughs> <laughs> but I'm gonna keep it together for the rest of this Show. and then later I'll go have a big weep session I don't have any chips in the house but you know I'll make do
1: I also think what you're talking about is very much applies to writing and the act of writing because it is, you have to have that intentionality, right? I'm Mm -hmm. sitting down here to have this intention. I think the story is going to go this way. This is what I think it is. And then, But be able to be spontaneous and it's moving and it's changing today. And I don't even know why we're going down there. And I'm on a deadline. I cannot have it changed today, but it's changing. And if you resist it, sometimes you do get that kind of flatness that starts to come in because it's, thought through. It's an intellectual version of your story. Um, I was just working with a young writer yesterday and I could see it. I could see the moment her brain went, yeah, we're not going down that road mm-hmm. and just went off the other direction. And uh, it was just a gentle process with her to have her see it, you know, to see, to have her see the truth that you talk about coming through and trying to come up into the script and the bravery it takes, uh, we call that on the show. It can feel like lava sometimes. That when that is that is that true can feel like fire. It can feel make you feel very very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. But that is also what you taught me, Jody, and working with you that that's the richness. That's that's where the human condition is is down in that stuff. And I don't I'm not talking tone now. It could be funny. It could be scary. Mm-hmm. It could be Martians. It could be anything. But the, that truth you talk about is. Um, it's amazing to hear it also as in the acting process and what you're yeah,
3: doing. It's the pot at the end of the rainbow that we keep, you know, going through all the boring stuff to get to, you know, and enduring the bad coffee and the throwing away the white pieces of paper and all of that, all the, 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 you know, the the tough grind of it all in order to get to those little tiny uh, bits of gold. Um, but, you know, the hardest thing with writing is that you guys are alone. You know, you're alone for a lot of the time and so much of the creative process that I'm used to happens as, you know, you 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 show the photographic paper to oxygen and stuff happens. Stuff happens because some person that you're working with asked you a question, or the person that you're working with um isn't good at, you know, or can't bring this one part of the character because it doesn't feel true to them, or they had some idea about a funny hat they were going to wear. And suddenly everything has to change because it comes into contact with other human beings and other human beings' truth. And of course, as a director, this happens 140,000 times a day because other factors, whether it's the weather, whether it's the schedule, all of it impacts on some idea you had in your hotel room all by yourself. Um, and that it's that is the challenge uh, also for all of us of working with writer directors because They come up with something in their hotel room and they think it's perfect and it's just amazing. And they live with it for months and months at a time. And then they come onto a movie set and they are unwilling to understand that the whole beauty of it is that it's all going to change the second that it comes into interaction with other people.
1: Yes. The writer in me is like, Oh, oh. <laughs> but it happens in animation all the time. All the storyboard artists working and, and That's going, what it's I, constant.
2: I love so much about, you know, theater working at Pixar and TV, right? You, you get to, you bring a script. You're like, it's perfect. It's proved. Let's go. And then all these people start asking you questions. Is this really the prop? Is this what I'm wearing? I can't say this line in this way, This you know, it's not true. And so that was the fun of it. You know, sitting on set, rewriting was a little challenging, you know, every day. But um, that's the fun of it. So you're right. Sitting alone. I find that part the hardest part, sitting alone and writing. I like the the noise of other people's thoughts and voices and stuff. Um, I mean, but, you know, yeah,
3: that is the beautiful thing about being a writer is that you can when you're all by yourself in your hotel room, you can inhabit all these other voices and these other people who come in and say, bullshit erase that, delete that immediately. Or, you know, oh, why it's like would you she...
2: can hear my inner voice. That's exactly what she says. That's bullshit. Erase it.
3: <laughs> um, I just worked with a writer director, Issa Lopez, um, who I think might be my favorite director I've ever worked with. It's really has been my favorite experience. Um, the true detective experience. And not only was, and she, you know, wrote all the pieces, uh, wrote all of the episodes, um, she had a wonderful uh you know mini writers room and all that um but she really loved the process of um throwing things away and saying well what could be better and now that we're in the room and we see that the ice is melting in this particular direction you know how do we what else can we come up with and I she, I could watch her getting giddy over that process. And yes, sometimes it was painful because she had, you know, slogged over something. And now here we were throwing it in the trash. Um, but hopefully the actors don't do it in order to, or that even the technicians don't do it in order to just achieve power or for the wrong reasons to get control or to hear the sound of their own voice or You know, I I think my character would wear a motorcycle jacket because they're cool. You know, hopefully the intentions we're all driving in the same direction, you know, and hopefully there there isn't bad psychology and self-centeredness that um, starts playing a part in, you know, the decision making Um, that those are all the things that you have to sort of weigh.
1: In terms of driving in the same direction, does that come back to that big, beautiful idea? Is there discussions with the director, writer, director about her intention of that thematic, you know, and that that's really what is the centering piece, right?
3: Yeah, and always coming back to that. And and I do believe, because I make personal films, and this is also something amazing is, you know, we think our big, beautiful idea is one thing. But I promise you, by the time that you're in the cutting room, you realize that it has morphed into something more specific, that is more beautiful, and that was inside you that you hadn't entirely fully reckoned with, um, that didn't really come out until you finished the process. It's kind of like the baby got born and then you realized that they walked and talked a certain way and that that was more true than the first ideas that you had, the first intentions that you had.
1: I know this might be uh, unlikely, but do you have any examples of those kinds of ideas for our, especially our emerging writers who are starting this path? Like when we say big, beautiful idea, what it is that we mean, you know, because a lot of them might be like, you know, love is true or like those kind of, um, you know, Hallmark card. That's not what we're talking about, right? We're talking about an emotional insight into the human condition. I'm just trying to think of an example we could give them.
3: Yeah, I mean, gosh, I have, I probably have a hundred million. So I'm gonna try and find one that's specific. Um, I mean, of uh, uh, Nell, you were you were a part of that process as well, or at least you you know you were around that process. Um, Nell was a play, and uh, the play was a beautiful play. But we worked with a different writer, and suddenly it turned into a lot of different things, and there were a lot of ideas that came through, and. Uh, it was many years of working on that, and I guess I always thought of Nell as—I I guess I—I I always thought of it as—and everybody else thought of it as—as um, as, uh, this person who was independent and was really—I um, don't want to say a wild child because that was—that's probably misleading but that she was so beautiful because she could be alone and could, li- could live in the moment and that she didn't need society. And we we kind of operated on that principle. And then somehow towards the end, I realized like, not towards the end, but towards the end of the development process as we're moving into the movie, I, I realized like, oh my gosh, it's exactly the opposite. Um, the man in the story is... Attracted to this idea of, of, you know, who is a person who can exist on their own, doesn't need people. I want to find out who that person is. And what he ends up finding is somebody we don't realize it till the end of the movie, but who is entirely and completely defined by another person, in this case, who was her twin, but who happens to have died. And So she was entirely in relationship with another person and does not know how to be alone at all, but the person's just not around anymore. So she concocts the person um, and pretends that the person is there because there's no other way for her to, uh, to be in the world. She wouldn't be able to live if she didn't, if she didn't have even the phantom of that person with her. Um, And I thought that was such an interesting idea uh, for the film. And and we operated on that idea. And then, gosh, and then when I finished the movie, I realized, wow, I wanted to make a movie about all of these things. But I realized that I had kind of done that in my whole life where I had continually just created new relationships because I couldn't be alone. And um, I would just put somebody in that seat. I just kept putting someone in that seat. Um, And I'd be like, oh, you're good. Here, you sit in that seat because I can't be alone. Um, And I found people that left me alone a lot so that I could pretend I was alone, but there was still somebody sitting in the seat. Um, So there was a sort of interesting revelation about making a movie that I thought was about learning how to be alone. And it actually ended up being a movie about learning how to be in real relationships.
2: Meg, I have a question for you. Yeah. 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 Did you just cry all the time when you were trying <laughs> to talk when you guys were together? Like, you laughed a lot. You, you laughed a lot. I'm sure. But like yeah, there, you're, you're I don't know. I'm really affected by listening to you talk. I feel so emotional. It's just I feel like you're speaking to my humanity in a way that I'm finding not surprising, but like
1: no, oh, I'm I'm moved. Since it is, it is, it, and it was, and it was. That's why it. I told you that everything I know about storytelling, I learned. From <laughs> here. Are you listening? I mean, the depth of understanding. Now, listen. I will be honest and tell you. When you had to go pitch to her because she's so smart, there was, it was. I wasn't afraid of her. I was afraid of not. You know, did I? My like, I would start that overthinking process, right? Of like, and then you would have to be like, no, it's like all I can bring her is what I love, and why yeah. I love it, and why I think. She might love it. And do you love it? I think this is a, such a cool idea. And I don't even know where it goes. It's only in half the script. But isn't this cool? And she'd be like, oh, my God, that's cool. Or she'd be like, no, I don't get it. And that was, you know, like, because you could get intellectual up in your head about anybody who's as insightful and amazing as Jody. Um, But it, it also teaches you to be, to constantly is it true? Go back to yourself. I also learned that from her and in terms of those relationships, I'm talking to you like you're not even here, Jody. Well, but.
3: That's, I mean, look, we, we, we come up with these ways creatively. We come up with creative paths because, because they work, right? You're like, okay, how do I make a movie that is moving? Okay. How do we do that? Oh, I know. Let's come up with something that's moving and then we make a movie about it. Right. So um, you you learn through experience of and as an actor, I really I really feel lucky um, that I that I don't think that I had much of an actor's personality. But I got forced to be an actor as a young person. And man, I had to come up with ways of finding how things are moving because if I didn't, I would suck. So I had to be like, OK, what moves me quick? I got I got to find it because otherwise I'm just going to be bad. I don't really know how to act without truth. I, I the only the only thing I know how to do is be truthful. I don't really know how to do anything else. So I had to find stuff really quickly. Um, there was an exercise that I did that really, I really felt came came in handy that I did for um uh for masterclass, um, which was you know, let's just say we're all, we're going to, today, we're going to come up with a really moving uh, short. Okay. And it's, it's going to be a 20 minute short. All right. What are we going to make it about? Uh, you tell me a story, you know, you tell me a story from your life that keeps haunting you and keeps coming back to you and talk to me about that moment, just about that moment, just one moment. And the moment can last 20 seconds, but just talk to me about that moment. And then, um, then then we're gonna go off on different tangents, but we're gonna create a whole, we're gonna create a scene and a script around that feeling. And then we're gonna come up with plot. and then we're gonna come up with backstory. Let's do it the opposite way. Let's start with the feeling and then mushroom out and talk about how what are the parameters and the structures and the form in order to get there. And um that to me is like a really that's another thing I ask people to do sometimes is go to a movie that makes you mad because you didn't like it. And then ask yourself, okay, now you're the writer director. What would you do to save this movie and to make this movie reflect you and to reflect all the things that you want to say about your life. And it's a, it's a good exercise to go back in and say, oh, you know, what I really hated about this movie was it was this big, epic, dumb sci-fi film, but it was supposed to be about, you know, his, quest for you know he, his quest for uh, asking questions about loneliness okay well what would you do well first of all I take away the sci-fi thing and I turn it into a two pe- two-hander okay well who are the two people like you just keep asking yourself questions and then suddenly you've turned you've turned something that you hated passionately because it betrayed you and you've changed made changes to turn it into something that moves you because it's very much you I saw a movie this weekend and I'm doing that. (laughs) (laughs) There you go.
0: So much of what we're talking about is so valuable because it's a reminder that the creative process is so fluid and it's about flexibility and openness. But is it ever the job of a writer in development to stand on a laurel that they really believe in about the project? You know, we talk about that hill to die on and having worked with so many writers in development how do we do that elegantly as writers when we're working with a brilliant producer, but we really believe something should stay or stand as it's changing in development?
3: Well, I have ideas about that. I mean, I, yeah, I encounter that all the time. Uh, you know, sometimes look what what moves me as a as a one person, something else totally different may move someone else, and I am here to serve the script, and I'm here to serve the director. So as an as an actor, I'm here to serve the the writer and the director. So. I have to really listen and say, what is it about that idea? Okay, so tell me, why is that? Why do you, you know, and really interrogate it and say, okay, all right, I get that. Maybe there is a negotiation. There's a midway point, which is, you know, I can't have her coming on horseback because that just feels phony. But I like the idea that she's close to nature and you have a response to that nature thing. Okay, is there another animal? What's the other animal? Do you feel that same way about pigs? Why would, you know, you, you create it, you're creating it together. So you can, you can keep one eye, you can keep the, the the big beautiful idea, but also still kind of surgically be able to kind of take away some of the distractions of the shaft that may be hindering the actor's performances or, maybe even hindering being able to communicate effectively to the audience.
1: Jody, The other thing that you taught me that I use all the time um, is we had a young writer come in and I, I warned her, you were going to ask this question. So she should have been more prepared. Um, And you said, I just, uh, uh, why, why this antagonist, like of all the people that could come into her life, why is this the person that's going to crack her open or transform her. Why this antagonist for this protagonist? And it's such a great clarifying back to that big, beautiful idea. Why this antagonist? Um, Is that something that you still believe? You know, it was a while ago when we talked about it.
3: Uh, Yeah. I mean, I'm always, as a director and, you know, ostensibly as a writer, even though I don't write very often, um, I... I need to have every one of those characters be a reflection of some part of me. So I'm often the, the person that I work on the most is the antagonist and, the, you know, the quote unquote bad guy, you know, because I need to find that bad guy in me. And I need to know why he or she did it. I need to know where it comes from. I need to know how their mother treated them. Like they have a point of view and it really, everybody has a point of view, but very importantly, the antagonist has a point of view and you can't understand the protagonist of course until you understand why that what the antagonist is doing in the in the movie i mean you know that it's it's a little bit different for television sometimes because television can be circular and it's just about experiencing environments sometimes but a movie is a short story it's a beginning a middle and an end and everything is meaningful if there's a prop that's highlighted in the script It better be meaningful. And if the character has a line, ultimately it needs to, if it's not meaningful for the big idea of the movie, cut it out. If it's just sounds cute or sounds pretty or is amusing, cut it out because it really needs to serve the big story. So yeah, there's, there's no such thing as not having an answer to a question in a movie as a director, you know as a filmmaker, when somebody asks you a question, you either have the answer or you say, "Wow, I don't have the answer to that. Is't that interesting? That's interesting okay well let's 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 keep going and let's see why that is um yeah, you have you have to have an answer for that It can't just be the bad guy's bad because I needed a bad guy
1: yeah and Jeff, you had a question talking speaking about TV directing um, and creation you had a question about that.
3: Well,
0: I've loved your train to television. Obviously, I think Orange is the New Black is one of the best TV shows of the last decade. And um, I wow. loved your work on Amazon, too. But I'm curious, did you, as someone who just was incubated in film, was there any conversation you had with yourself about like trying television and moving over? Because truthfully, I feel like Orange is the New Black is sort of on like the early side of the prestige television wave. Like, was this a conversation you were having with yourself at all before you made the move?
3: Well I was excited about cable and television and streaming and all that stuff um but I also recognized my place uh as a director um uh, you are not the creator and you're not the person making those decisions so basically the director is there you know entirely to serve the creator's vision and that was uh, you know really fun for me um to do that on Orange is the New Black and and um and on House of Cards and you know to work with these amazing creative voices um I I know my place though. And at the end of the day, uh, they have the right to recut you and uh, they make the final decision on casting and they've probably already um, worked with the production designer on the sets before you get there. So uh, your your level of responsibility is very different. You're, you're there to serve as a member of the team. And I I love that. As long as I can make my own movies, I really love being able to serve in television.
0: Speaking of your own movies, is it okay if I quickly ask about Money Monster? Because I, I love that movie. And one of the things I really like about it, and I think it's true of a lot of your work, is it's filled with big, beautiful a big, beautiful idea, right? And it's thematically rich and it's challenging, right? It's about the capitalist industrial complex, but it's still a popcorn thriller. And you know, I'm still going to go and I'm going to have a great time. And I rewatched it last night and I was like, gosh, this movie's fun. I'm on the edge of my seat and I'm still being fed these important ideas Is that? Can you talk about that as a writer? Because I feel like, especially on early drafts, sometimes all we're doing is the big, beautiful idea, and we forget that we're telling a story. Right.
3: Yeah, that movie, I have a lot of... uh, It's a bittersweet movie for me, right? Because I don't... um, You know, some movies, you'll leave and you'll feel like, yep, I left everything on screen that I wanted to say, and everything was exactly how it was intended. And that that was definitely not true with that movie. I mean, that is what happens when you make a studio film. Um, that costs more than the normal movie with big stars. um, there are different demands on you and there's different fights that you fight. So I don't know that that film is the most reflective of who I am, but uh, the ideas in it for sure are things that um that were really really in my soul, you know, about men and failure um about uh, how how men, it's almost like they have this, primordial failure nugget that's sitting in their body and that tortures them their whole lives. You know, what if I'm a failure? What happens if I'm a failure? And a lot of that is in the eyes of women, Um, whether it's their mother, whether it's their girlfriend, um, that there's a, a kind of hurt that they carry with them that can propel them to violence and can propel them to Misogyny and can propel them to cheat and lie and steal because they don't want to be a failure in their eyes or in the eyes of women. So that was really that was at the core of that movie for me, and I thought that was very interesting to have those three male characters, um, each of them completely different. So you know, the host played by George Clooney, and um, you know the 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 guy who comes to take him hostage. Uh, Jack O'Connell and, and, and the antagonist and all of them are reacting from the same kind of very male uh, phenomenon. Um, Yeah. You know, I, I did want to, I did want to make a mainstream movie. I I felt like you could do both. I really wanted to do both. Um, And I also, I like to make a movie about uh, deep things but I also like it to be fun and I like to see the comedy in it because that's a reflection of who I am. I'm not like a particularly dark person. I'm kind of like a, you know, a witty language-based funny person. So I have to have both. Um, I, you know, not everybody liked the film. So it's hard for me to, to, you know, I can't really have a perspective about that. Cause I, I know a lot of people um, were disappointed in the tone really that You know, there was a lot of comedy and um, uh, it was also a thriller and there was a lot of pressure for it to be one or the other. And um, I tried to keep both, but, you know, I tried. I'm not sure I I achieved it. I think you did.
0: I I love that movie. I like it for that. reason. I feel like it's aged very well in that way. I don't know. I I know it's not my place to talk about why the movie's good or not good, but I really, really like that movie.
3: Topically, it aged really well, but unfortunately at the time, I think people didn't really appreciate that, right? There was this scourge of people who were saying, like, I am a white guy and I am aggrieved. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And all of these, you know, the 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 financial world, um, have I feel manipulated, I feel like I can't like I can't get ahead, I feel like it's unfair. And this was before just before Trump. So I right. um, felt like there was, you know, a, a there was a lot of stuff. Um of the undercurrent of America that was in the film that I think people at the time didn't hadn't quite gotten yet. So I do feel like it was a tiny bit, maybe like six months to a year ahead of its time, and that perhaps if it had come out a year later, people would have understood that there was stuff to be looked at in that arena in the financial world.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And yet, because you're you, you also present the, all of those people as human beings, flawed, messed up human beings, but they're human beings, they're not monsters necessarily or it's like what makes a monster i guess but
3: yeah uh, yeah and i you know that's and that's yeah i mean i'm i'm always that's what i'm always looking for um and i was really hoping uh you know with george because uh, george clooney is somebody that people really respond to and they love him and um they just have this like happy feeling when he walks in the room and he is a total asshole in the film. I mean, he's just a complete schmuck of an asshole who takes credit for things he didn't do, who um is you know, he's uh doesn't acknowledge the woman that is behind him that does everything. He um he's starstruck, he's uh sexist. You know, he's He's all these things and we hopefully do watch him change through the course of the movie, not change and turn into a hero. He changes because he acknowledges that he he fucked up and he messed up people's lives and um, he becomes a human being. So that's what I was hoping for. I don't know if I got there. Uh, We'll see. I have not seen the movie since um, the last time it came out of the
1: (laughs) out, out, out of the mix. Um, Jody, uh, one of the last questions I want to ask you, and then we're, we always wrap up with the same three, but, um, sure. and maybe there, this is too open-ended, but you know, a lot of people who listen to this podcast confront the anxiety of the creative process. Yeah. And I think they use it as an excuse to say, well, that, that means I'm not talented or that means I'm not really a writer or that means, you know, and it's, uh, um, a lot of our show is about, no, that, that means you are an artist because, um, you Know, can you talk a little bit about the anxiety of the creative process for you? And I know we spoke in the beginning a little bit about as you age, it shifts and changes, but it does seem to always be part of the process, like it just seems to be an element of it.
3: Yeah, um, thank God that you're anxious and don't think you have all the answers. You know, um, I think it is a part of the process. I think if you're if if you create something and you think it's just perfect just the way it is and it's just extraordinary and everybody should just you know lie down and um and pray in front of it um you're bound to make a really terrible you're just bound to make a terrible piece of art um part of the 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 humility is part of what makes great art is continually questioning yourself and you know, wondering whether it's good enough, wondering if you're good enough, wondering if the truth is true enough. Um, I think that's an essential part of the process. And that humanity is what allows you to have relationships with people. And those relationships are what allows you to have good creative partnerships.
2: I really respond to the, is it true enough? Because I can overthink and beat myself up. And then I ask the question, am I making it different or better? But I think asking is this true is a much more powerful barometer of why I'm making the change or why I feel like making the change, what I'm changing it to. So I think it's a real gift. So thank you for that. Cause I think that will make me feel more curious rather than, uh, uh, falling apart and, uh, overthinking Judgmental
1: more than judgmental. Yes. you'd yes, Curiosity. Yeah.
3: Um, yeah. And you know, when you're working with actors, you know, sometimes there are things that Bug them. Um, a line bugs them. Uh, um, the, a blocking bugs them, or uh, a piece of clothing that they were asked to wear in the script bugs them. And you can't just cast it aside and say, "Well, that doesn't matter because it's right for what I planned." Um, you have to listen to that, you know, and say, "Okay, all right, I get that." Well, why a why? And B, what's the alternative that's going to allow all the other pieces to come together too? But also listen to yourself because things bug you too, and sometimes you can't solve it in that moment. Um, you know that's the hard thing. You can you can look at a you've you've written ten pages, and you're like, oh, this bugs me, but I don't know why. You just have to keep going, uh, and eventually down the line, whether it's a year or six months or a week, um, things will happen, and you'll figure it out. And you can't possibly have all the answers in that moment. All you can have are your feelings about it. Um, and then you can park the answers and say, like, I'm going to figure out the answer later. I'm just going to acknowledge that I have a feeling about it. I'm going to write it down and come back later. Amazing.
1: Jody. we always, thank you so much for being here. We always end uh, the episode asking the same three questions. So, okay, um, are you ready? All right, here yeah. we go. Yeah, I don't even know um, what those
3: questions are. So this that's is really good.
1: Yes, Um what brings you the most joy in your creative process of being a director and or
3: actor? You know, it's crazy is, is you do this thing that's hard, but you do it with these people. You do it with 125 people. And we are all there in the middle of the night in the freezing cold with our, you know, dumb REI outfits on and our hot hot pads on our shoes. And um we're not hold, you know, the boom guy's not holding a boom because that's all he ever wanted to do is hold a stick. You know, he's holding it because he wants to be a part of something meaningful. And when you're there with all those people, you're creating this meaningful thing in a context with a group, like like a like a summer camp. Um and it's a once, it only happens once. That moment only happens once, and you can't recreate that context. Um, you know, Inuritu said to me, a whole bunch of people, a thing, and he got an award. And he said, what's crazy about this award for her man, is that it's like, me and my wife made love, and she got pregnant, and we had a baby. And now everybody's going like, congratulations, you made this amazing baby. And he's like, I didn't do anything. I just had sex with my wife. And (laughs) yes, that was a great moment. And it was amazing and truthful and beautiful. But like, I'm not responsible for what came out of this moment of truth. And um, I guess that's what I like the most about the creative process.
2: Okay. The second question is, what pisses you off about (laughs) your life as a creative?
3: Well, um, you know, you're probably going to try and give me a pep talk and tell me I shouldn't feel this way. But No, never feel really um, mad at myself and really like it doesn't go away that I feel that I was given all of these amazing opportunities that I was either too lazy to pursue or I didn't do it. Or I I was just too busy doing something else that didn't end up even being fulfilling. Um, I watched all of these opportunities that were given to me. and I don't even know why they were given to me. They were given to me because who knows, maybe they were given to me because I had, you know, white skin or blonde hair, or I had a great education or a whole bunch of privileges, but I still look back on them now and think like, why didn't I do that thing? Why didn't I call that guy back? Or, you know, he offered for me to do this thing and I didn't do it. And, um, I do feel like sometimes like I didn't live up to the promise that, my mom had for me or that I had for myself that I know that's crazy because I did a lot of stuff, but I'm still tortured by the, by all the promise that I didn't fulfill.
1: We say yet, of course I would talk you out of that, but if that's, there's still a, yet. (laughs)
2: Um. That really resonates. I think as you get older and you start to catalog all the missed things, because you, I mean, for me, this is not a pep, pep talk, but I didn't know it was an opportunity at the time. Right. I wasn't ready to take it on. Like, why didn't I call that guy back? At the time, I thought he was just calling me as a pity or who even is that? Like three years later, I'm like, oh, my God, I just realized who that is and what that meant. And, you know, so it's part of it is I just didn't know or I wasn't ready or I would have failed anyway or, you know, like, I, you know, so part of it is that. But then, you know, I I am on this journey of, you know. Totally. I'm on a journey. Yeah. So not to talk you out of it, but like just in my own experience, I think probably a lot of our listeners too. Like some of it's just ignorance. We just didn't know.
3: Yeah. And look, those opportunities get less and less as you get older. You know, there aren't as many people out there who want to discover the great, young, whatever, right? So you you turn a certain age and there aren't there isn't a platter full of donuts that are being passed to you all the time. And the
0: last question we have, Jody, is if you could go back and, you know, have a coffee with your younger self um, and you started your career so young, this will be an interesting answer, I'm sure, for you. But what advice would you give that, Jody?
3: Um, Yeah, I don't know if that it's so much about career. I think it was more about personality. I think that I could say no and that I had the freedom to decide what I wanted to do. Like this new generation of young people have an understanding of that, that they can say no that they can say that feels uncomfortable or I I don't want to in my heart, or that isn't my instinct. Or um, I guess I, I thought as a a woman in the sixties growing up, I thought I had to make everybody feel good and I had to make men not feel bad. And I had to say yes to things that I didn't want to do. And um, I just wish I knew that I had a choice.
1: Amazing, Jody. Yep. Thank you so much for being here. It was as spectacular as I anticipated, knowing you, yeah. um, just your incredible intelligence and uh, see, yeah. depth of humanity. That well, there's been. nothing I love
3: more than talking about making movies and talking about the creative process. There's nothing I want I love more, and um, I wish that it was a full time job and I could actually get paid for it. That would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I said I want to be a, a a professional, like an opinion person, where you call them up on the phone and it's like $500 an hour and you just give your opinion.
1: <laughs>
3: Let's okay. do I mean,
2: it. I think you just invented that job. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> you're, the now, you're the official opinion person of Hollywood. There you go.
3: <laughs> All right, Jody. Thank, thank you, you. you guys, so much.
2: Thank you.
0: My
3: pleasure. Love seeing you, Meg. I can't wait to hear about everything. Thank you so much to
2: Jody Foster for joining us on today's show. True Detective will be coming out in the fall on
1: HBO. If you haven't yet, come on over to the Facebook group. There's a wonderful community over there ready to help and support your creative process. And I mean that. I know it sounds like a tagline, but I mean it. There is, We are having incredible conversations over there. People are asking questions. So come on over and join us.
2: Thank you so much to Jeff and Savannah for producing. And remember, you are not alone and keep writing.